Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and what I want to talk to you about today is this thought, when God doesn't come through. When God doesn't come through. It's um, Sometimes that's a tough thing to deal with when we get the wrong answer from God. We're asking God for a yes, and he gives us a no. We're asking God to take away a problem, and he doesn't. We ask God to resolve our suffering, and he chooses not to. When we ask God to quiet the critics, and they seem to get louder. When we ask God to get us out of the crisis that we're in, and we remain there, and we never get out. What do we do when God doesn't come through. It can be very confusing. It can be very frustrating. It can steal our faith and increase our doubt. We can begin to wonder if God cares about us, if he's listening to us, if he's worried about us, or if he's just off taking care of other people. And eventually, our minds become a playground for the enemy, and it leads us to the place where we wonder if God is even real at all. So then what do we do? Because if God's not handling our problems, the next uh, thing that we resort to is we take matters into our own hands. Well, God, you couldn't deal with it, so I'm going to deal with it. God, you wouldn't answer my prayer, so I'm going to take care of it myself. God, you wouldn't do this, so I'm going to do that. And we start taking matters into our own hands. What do we do when God doesn't come through. If you're open to Acts chapter 1, say amen. And let's pray before we read. Father, I thank you. I feel you today. I know that you are here. That your Holy Spirit is wanting to work in this place. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us as this word is delivered, Lord. May it, may it not be mere words of man's wisdom. May it not be my words, but Lord, speak through me today. Let your Holy Spirit go to work. We invite you into this place, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is ascending. He's just about to ascend back into the heavenlies uh, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he promises the Holy Spirit one more time, which is he has been doing. But before he leaves the earth for the last time, he, he promises the Holy Spirit once more. Acts chapter 1 Verse 8, but you will, everybody say will, it's not might, it's not should, it's not could, you will, if you're reading the New King James Version, you shall, does that sound more official? You shall, uh, maybe I know you shall receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will, everybody say will, be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One of the things that we talked about uh, on Pentecost Sunday when we talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit was this. A baptized believer, a, a believer that is baptized with the Holy Spirit, Two things you will know about them. Here's what Jesus said. They're written in red. You will receive power. 
So if there's no power on your life, you've not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to look at it again because I I want you to know I'm not making this up right here. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive it. He's not questioning. He's not saying, I'm going to put your name in a lottery and hope it pops out. None of that. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So if there's no power in your life, I would suggest to you that you need to be rebaptized with the Holy Spirit. Number two, he said, you will be my witness. If the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and the power of God is upon you, you can't help but talk about it. Because it's, it's, it's visible, it's seen, it's what's on your mind. When we recognize that God is at work, we can't help but say something about it. Witness, your, your life is, is a moving picture for the people around you. Is God working in you or is he not? You see, you can be saved but not full of power. And you can be saved but never be a witness. But when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, Jesus said, not, not one of the disciples that you can't remember their name. Jesus said, you will receive power and you will be my witness. Let, let, let's, let's understand why we, we can say this because I will tell you today that if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have power. There's no doubt about it. The word here, power, is, is actually a word that is used quite often in the New Testament. Now, because our English language is a rather limited language, it's a, it's a rather small language, believe it or not, when they're translating from the Greek into English, they translate multiple Greek words into the same word that we use, power. So I want to talk to you about over the next couple of weeks some of the words used in the New Testament for the word that we translate power so that you understand what Jesus is talking about or what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life. But this word specifically right here is the word dunamis. It's, it's, uh, no, don't put that up yet. It's the word dunamis. It's spelled D-Y-N-U-M-I-S. I, I spell that to you because when you see the D-Y, we think um, die, but it's actually said in the Greek, do. All right? But here's what we get from it. One of, the wor- one of the English words that is derived from this same word is our word dynamite. Right? Dynamite. Um, this is the most common use of the word that we translate power, this, this, is the, this is the usage that is used more than any other in the New Testament. In fact, this word is used 120 times in the King James Version. 120 times we see this word power in the New Testament. That's from the book of Matthew through the book of Revelation. 120 times. Now I want you to think about that. If a word is used 120 times in just a few books, it must be important. And so Jesus says, you will receive this dunamis, what we translate as power. Uh, It means explosive, 
dynamite power, miraculous power, uh, it, the, the power to see miracles done. Uh, it, it, means, it means strength or ability. It, it's the power to do miracles. It's power and influence, which belongs to riches and wealth. So when you see, when we talk about people with power, their, their riches, their wealth, their influence, it makes things happen that we might not could make happen, right? Uh, th- this is one of the words in the New Testament that, that is used to refer to that type of power. It's, it's the power to make things happen that you couldn't because you lack the ability. Um, it's the power consisting in armies. So when, when we talk about an army going into battle, that, that power, that force, that strength is called dunamis. Are you with me? But I want to give you today uh, this definition all, all these are the definitions of this word and how it's used. But I want to give you this de- definition. Guys, if you can help me now. It's inherent power, or it is power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Here's, here's what this means. Some things have power not because it was given it to them, but because it's just in their nature to have power. If you gain wealth and then you use that wealth to move things and influence the world, that's, some, that's something you gain. But specifically here today, here's what I want to talk to you about. It's this inherent power that's just in your nature. Jesus talks about this when he's talking to the Sadducees about um, when he's talking to them about the resurrection and they're, at, they're trying to catch him because they didn't believe in the resurrection and Jesus is, is saying, you don't know anything about scriptures nor do you know anything about the dunamis or the power of God. And he's speaking to them and what, it, what he's saying there is God has inherent power in who he is. It's just in his nature. When Jesus showed up on the earth, he just had power power. It was just in him. Why? Because Jesus was God. And so when when the Holy Spirit shows up, the Holy Spirit is God. He is a person. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is part of the Trinity. He is God that is at work on the earth today. And so when the Holy Spirit shows up, he shows up with power because he is power. So when Jesus makes this statement, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's not a question mark for Jesus because the Holy Spirit can't show up and power not show up with him because it's inherent in his nature. Think about it like this. this, this right, my right arm is part of my body. It's part of my body. So when, when you say, Randon is coming over to my house today, Guess what? My right arm is coming too. Are you with me? I'm not gonna like. I don't. I'm not gonna leave it at home. It's coming with me, because it's part of me. It's part of who I am. And so this is this is the this, this same principle that is applied when Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, because you can't separate the Holy Spirit and power, because it's part of His nature. It's part of who He is. It just when He shows up, power comes with Him. Are you tracking with me? 
So that's why I can say unequivocally, if the Holy Spirit, if you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and, and he has filled you, then you have power. Well, Pastor Renard, I don't feel powerful. I get that. We'll talk about it in a minute. But I, I, I want to encourage you right out of the box that if the Holy Spirit has filled you, you have power. It's not a question mark. It's not a wonder. Because inherent in the Holy Spirit is this dunamis power. He can't show up without it. In fact, I'll tell you this. It is impossible to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have power. It's just simply impossible. You may not recognize it. You may not realize it. You might not activate it, but it is there. Let me remind you of the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of his sons in the Lord, Timothy. He said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. This word power here is the same word that we're talking about, dunamis. Now, I want you to note the word given right here. Has given. I know we're coming to the summer. I'm really proud. My daughter uh, mastered her star test in algebra this year. I, I know. And the reason I'm really proud is because I'm convinced that she didn't learn anything at school. I had to come home and teach her every night. And so I feel like I remastered it all over again. But thank goodness homework is almost done. Uh, we have, I don't know if y'all are out of school yet, we have one more week and I'm like, uh, we have one more final and we are done and I'm off for the summer. <laughs> Any other parents feel that way? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I just remind you this too though, by the time summer comes, we'll be celebrating them going back to school. But um, it's a good system that we have. Um, here's the thing, go back to grammar. When you see the words has given or has not given, that is a past tense form of the verb. So here is what, what Paul is reminding Timothy. As a matter of fact, in verse 6, he says, let me remind you. Because this has already taken place. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear and timidity, Timothy. But what he has already given you is dunamis power. Paul says, Timothy, you're going through life and you're timid and you're shy and you're worried and you're not sure what you're going to do next. You're not sure how it's all going to work out. And I don't, I don't know. And, and, and people are talking about you and they're running their mouths and they're critiquing you and they're trying to put you, put you down because of your age and, and they're trying to control you. But he said, Paul, uh, Timothy, I want you to know that God didn't give you a spirit of fear and timidity, but what he has already given you was the power you need to do the job. He's already given you the love you need to love people. He's already given you the self-discipline or the sound mind that you need to lead the churches. He's already given it to you. So when you're in the midst of the situation, here's what the enemy tries to do and tries to confuse us with. 
He tries to convince us that there's no power at work in our life. And he drops on us a spirit of fear and a spirit of timidity and other spirits like confusion and doubt. And he puts them on us. And Paul's words stand as a reminder to all of us throughout the ages that you've already received power when you receive the Holy Spirit. So don't let the enemy lie to you and confuse you and tell you, well, I don't have any power in my life. You know what? You may not. But you may have power at work that you don't even know about. God may be working and you haven't been giving him any credit. What about that? Pastor, there's no power in my life. I want to show you one of the ways power works today. I, I want to show you the value of power in your life. And I want to change your perspective on the place in your life where God hasn't shown up yet. Or like you want. Flip over with me now to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're there, say amen. amen. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. Now, I, I love these next few words of Paul, and I'm just going to warn you, he's a little all over the map with him. He's a little contradicting himself, but I think you'll get the point when we're done with it. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. Why is Paul doing this? Because there were other, and he's going to refer to them uh, in verse, and I, we're not going to read this today, but I forget the verse, uh, verse 11. He's going to refer to these men as super apostles. He puts it in quotation marks. There's a little bit of... Uh, I, I, I love about Paul, he's got a little bit of sarcasm here and there, right? And, he, and he's, So all of these super apostles are coming through and talking about their visions and their revelations, and Paul hasn't done any of that. So now one more time, Paul is having to convince them of the authenticity and the authority that he carries as an apostle. Because all these super apostles are talking about their visions and their revelations and their understandings. Paul says, okay, here's the deal. I was called up into the third heaven 14 years ago. So I want you to get this. For 14 years, Paul has not talked about this vision. He's not talked about this revelation. And he doesn't even want to do it now, except that people are not believing him because they're believing all these super apostles, super apostles with these great revelations. So finally Paul says, look... It's not the revelation that makes me super. It's not the, it's not the vision that makes me great. But I'm going to share it with you anyway. You tracking with me? 14 years ago, he says, I was caught up into uh, the third heaven. Third heaven. Th this is a, a very common understanding of the day. Doesn't mean that there are three level, layers of heaven or anything like that. It, it was just a, a figure of speech for the day. And they considered it like this. That when you walk outside during the day and you see the blue skies, right? You walk out today and you see the, the, the clouds and the blue sky. Oh. <laughs> You're all like, ah, this is... <laughs> it's, not, it's not a trick question. Do you know what a blue sky is? There are songs written out. The skies are blue. It's that, that's all it is. The blue sky was heaven number one. The stars and the moon was heaven number two. So when you go out at night and you see the stars in the sky and you see the moon, that was heaven number two. And then the third heaven was the place where they believe, where Jews believe that God lived, the throne room of heaven, if you will. 
So that's all it means right here. Don't get caught up in, man, how many heavens are there? Like, is there like eight? Is there three? You only made it to level three? Or I've only been to level one? I don't know. No, look, look that's all it is. It's just, it's just a statement. Uh, it's a cultural statement that they understood that we don't. I was caught up into the third heaven. Watch right here. He, he's not even exactly sure what's going on. He's going he's to continue. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. So I don't know if I went to the third heaven and I was walking around in my own body or I was out of my body. If I, was just, I don't really know what all was going on. Yes, only God knows whether it was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was called up to paradise. Now, wait a second. You just said the third heaven. Paradise is actually another word used. And I, and I believe he is intentionally using these words because he doesn't want to be pinned down to something. So I told you that the third heaven was the place where God dwelt, right? Paradise was actually something that Jews of the day believed that when you died as, as a good Jewish believer, follower, you would go into paradise and, and you would await paradise until the resurrection when you would go to heaven at that point. You didn't go straight from earth to heaven. You went to a place called paradise and then from there you would be resurrected and, t- resurrected and taken to heaven. Many devout Jews, uh, or not just devout Jews, but uh, very, very uh, some specific sects of Jews, sects of Jews, also believed that this was a place on the earth, a garden on the earth that was hidden from the rest of the world. So when you died, somehow you were transported from transported from here over to this specific garden hidden somewhere. And there, everyone who had died throughout history, all the Jews who had died throughout history, were waiting on the resurrection. So now, 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 now Paul is confusing them all. He's like, I was in the third heaven. I was in paradise. I'm not exactly sure. But here's what here's, we, we continue. And I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. Does it seem a little like he's doing it right now? It's like, I, I, I made an A on my test. And I'm not going to brag about making an A on my test. I'm just going to tell you that I made an A on my test. And the test was really hard. And everyone else failed. But I made an A on the test. But I'm not going to brag about making an A on the test. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want to give me any, anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not going to boast about it. I'm just going to tell you it happened and it was awesome. But I can't tell you everything because it was too awesome. You can't even know. But I'm not going to boast. I want you to note these words right here, though. I I don't want to boast about it, and I'm not going to tell you all about it, because I don't want any credit beyond what you see or you hear in my message. I I love this word that he uses here, message. Jesus said, you'll be my witness. As a witness, you are preaching a message with your life. Your life is telling a story. It is bearing witness to. Think about it. 
if you've ever been in the court of law, maybe you were on trial or uh, involved in some way, and they call a witness to the stand. What does the witness do? The witness tells his story, right? He gives his message about what happened. These are, the, these are the same words that are used here. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, hear in what I'm saying, hear in what I, if they can't see it and they can't hear it from me, don't give me credit for it. What's the principle? Just because I say I've had a vision and a revelation and God has changed my life, it doesn't mean anything. If you can't see it on me, my words don't matter. I, I, I read a report this week, and it was talking about, which is very interesting to me as, as a communicator, uh, and this is something that, that we, we teach. Uh, we, we were doing some, some drills and some training and coaching with some of our staff over the last few weeks, and I was talking with them about this, and I didn't know it was quite this, uh, it was, it was quite this uh, big of a deal but I want to share it with you. You might find it interesting. I first heard it on television, but I didn't believe it. So I looked it up and found it in, in a psychology, uh, American Psychology magazine. But here's what they said. And I don't know how they arrived at this. When you are communicating, 7% of what you're communicating comes from the words you're saying. I want you to think about that. 7% of what you're getting from me today comes from the words that I am saying. 38% of our communication comes from the tone that we say it in. So it's not just, you, you might have heard, um, husbands, you've probably heard this, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Y'all got what I'm saying now? 38%, right? So 7% is what you say. 38% is the tone you say it in. in. The, the entire other 55%. I want you to get this. The rest of the 55% is body language. Because what we're seeing makes a bigger impact on us than what we're hearing. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Can you hear God and go on the 7%, not on the 93% of what you're seeing with your eyes in the world around you? I don't know exactly how they got to those numbers. I don't know they're skewed. Maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 5%. I don't know, but I think that you get the principle. Here's what I want to say about your life and mine. You can say that you're a Christian all you want to. But your words are making very little impact on the people around you. Here's what's making an impact. What do they see? And what are they hearing from you that's not in your words? What is the tone of your life? We're communicating. Tone. I can say to you, I love you. 
It's not very believable, is it? Or I could say, we're going to do big things. Is that believable? No, why? Because you don't believe my tone, you don't believe my face, and my body is getting really small. I'm, I'm being serious. Now, now watch. God wants to do big things in your life. Right? Did you, you, you immediately, a lot of you guys started, you start nodding back at me. God wants to do big things in your life. Look, I'm standing up taller. I'm getting wider. My, my face lights up. My tone goes up higher. And suddenly you're like, man, maybe God does want to do big things in my life. God wants to do big things in your life. God wants to do big things in your life. Okay. Because what we're seeing and what we're feeling from the tone makes a bigger impact than just the words that we're saying. In your life, you can be saying the right thing, but your tone is wrong. Oh, in a moment of honesty, how many of us have ever called on the name of Jesus or called on God in a tone that would not be very biblical. So we're saying the words, Jesus help, or other more aggressive forms, but our tone and our body language is, saying, is speaking something else to the rest of the world. What is, what is the message of your life saying, and what do people really see? He goes on right here. I, I want to keep reading. Even though, verse 7, I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So now he goes on. He's like, I've even seen all these revelations. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter to me. And I don't think it mattered to Paul. How many revelations you've had. How many words from God you've had. How many scriptures you've memorized. How eloquent the prayer you can pray. I don't, I don't want you to judge me as a pastor based off of the depth of my revelation. Here's what I want you to judge me off, and you should judge me off of. Only give me credit to the degree that you can see it on my life and you can feel it in the tone of my language. It's not about how masterfully I can lay out scripture to you today. It's about what can you see and feel on me. And if you can't see it and feel it, then don't give me any credit for it. That's what Paul is saying. But that doesn't just exist here in the church. When we go outside of the walls, you will be witness. What are you witnessing to? Not what are you saying. What is your life bearing witness to if the world is judging you and only giving you credit based off what they can see in your life and they can hear in your message, what are you really saying? We, we better move forward. It, it, that, that's, that, that's a little too strong. I don't, wanna, I don't even want anybody to leave today. Open up. Here we go. So to keep me from becoming proud... I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I love this word here. Paul says he was given something. 
When you read the context of the context of the scripture, there are things we know and things we don't know. What we don't know is what the thorn was. There's much conjecture been taking place for centuries over this, but Paul specifically left out what the actual thorn was. But we know that it was visible. You, you know, we think of thorns as like the thorn on a rose bush or something, something small. So, so when we think, when we read this, or at least when I read this, I think of a thorn in your hand, something you need some tweezers to get out. Like I can still function in my life, but there's a thorn in my hand and I'd like to get it out. It's annoying more than it is difficult. Are you with me? That's not the word that Paul is using. This word thorn actually translates better to the word tent stake. Remember, big, huge, massive tent. Paul was a tent maker. I don't know if you're aware of that. He's a tent maker. So when they would set up these tents, you didn't put literally thorns in the ground to hold the tent up. When we set up our tent at the church, it has multiple huge stakes about this long, metal poles that go in the ground. And here is what Paul is saying. We say thorn like, oh, Paul, poor little Paul, you have a thorn in the flesh. Paul's like, I don't have a thorn in my flesh. I've got a tent stake jabbed in my right thigh. And I'm limping, and everyone can see it, and everyone can notice it, and everyone looks at me and says, how are you going to be an apostle when there is a tent stake coming out of the side of your body? Because thorns tend to be very vis visible. The vision he had, no one knew about. The revelation he had, he didn't tell anyone out about. But everyone saw this thorn. He says, I was, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. So let's keep going. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. I, I love this. Stay, stay back on verse 8. He didn't say, I, I gently asked the Lord, Lord, would you, would you help me for a moment? I could, I, you know. Could you take this stake out of my leg? It would be very nice. Um, make, do it gently now. No, he is begging. Dear God, can you please help me? There is a stake in my leg, and I need it out. I'm going to need you to do surgery. Get it out. Three times. Three times he begged the Lord. Three times he came to God. How, how do you think it was for the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul who has seen the miraculous. Who has seen God do incredible things? You have to know that when he went to God and prayed the first time, he legitimately thought God is going to remove the stake from my leg. He's going to remove the thorn from my flesh. God didn't do it. That's okay, Lord. I'm going to pray harder this time. So he prays harder. God still didn't remove the thorn. So after two times, you know, he... He got to thinking back about what happened with Jesus and when Jesus said sometimes these only come out with prayer and fasting. So I wonder if he like went on like a, a seven-day fast or something. And, and he prayed and he, and he sought God harder and he went to God. And, and, and I don't know what he did, but somehow he is begging God, I am desperate, God. I need this thorn out of my life. I need it out of my flesh. And three times God did not come through for him in the way he wanted. But here's... Here's the truth. God did answer him. You see, most of the time in our life, when we think God is not coming through for us, he's been answering us all along. It's just not the answer we wanted. 
Some prayers God answers. Some prayers he doesn't. But he always responds. Each time, he said, notice, each time. Every time. Every time I prayed, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So every time he's coming, he's praying. The, the other thing about this is a Hebrew figure of speech. So when you say three times, what it means is you're doing it without ceasing. So here's what Paul's saying. He's not just saying, I prayed three times. He's saying, I am praying every day, all the time for this thorn to be out of my flesh. I never stop. And every time, each time, every day I pray the same prayer and I'm expecting God to remove the thorn. And every time he comes back with this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Here's, here's what I love. Here's what I love. You go back to verse 6 and 7. Paul now has some understanding. Think about the conversation with God. God, I need you to remove the thorn from my life. I need you to remove this thorn in my flesh. It's driving me nuts. It's keeping, keeping me from doing ministry. I can't do all you've called me to do. People are looking down on me because of it. It's noticeable. People think less of me. And I'm just trying to do your work down here, God. Can you please remove the thorn from my flesh? And God says, why would I do that? Well, God, clearly you can see that this thorn is a problem. And, and people are, you know, you see how they're looking at me. And I could do so much more ministry if you would remove the thorn. And God says, no, you can't. Well, well, God, what are you talking about? What do you mean you, I couldn't do more ministry? I'm, I'm limping around. I, 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 maybe it was his eyesight. Maybe it, he couldn't hear. Whatever it was, God, I could do so much more ministry if I didn't have this problem. And God says, no, you can't. Well, what do you mean, God? You can't because I gave you the thorn. God, why would you, why would you do this to me? Why would you put me in this situation? Why would you put me in this difficulty? Why would you make life harder on me? Why would you give me this weakness? Why would you give me this struggle? Why would you give me this pain? Why would you give me this embarrassment? God says, oh, now you're asking the right question. You want to know why? Because my grace is all you need. If you didn't have that thorn, you might think you could do this on your own. Paul, if you didn't have this thorn, you might think you didn't need me. Paul, if you didn't have this thorn, you wouldn't really understand the grace of God. My power works best in weakness. This word power here, you can probably guess it, is the word dunamis. So here's what Paul says. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the dunamis power of Christ can work through me. Here. I've been praying like crazy. God, I need you to get rid of it. I need you to help me with it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what is going on in, in your life. Paul goes on. He says, let me, let me expand it a little bit for you. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not until I recognize my own weakness that I then receive the strength or the power of God. Here's what I want you to know. I said to you that the, the power of God was at work in your life and you didn't even know it. 
The grace of God. One of the definitions is the unmerited favor of God. It's one of the most common definitions of the word grace. But here's a better definition for you. It's the power and the desire to do the will of God in your life. The grace that saves you is the unmerited favor of God. But the grace that is on you every day is the power, the dunamis power of God to do his will in your life. So here's Paul. He gets this understanding. When I don't see power working anywhere else, when I don't see the miraculous power to remove the thorn from my life, what I've come to realize is that the grace of God that gets me through that strengthens me in my weaknesses, that is the power of God at work. The grace that has gotten you to this point, the grace that carried you through, the grace that lifted you up when you didn't know how you could make it another day, the, the, the grace that encouraged you when, when you were standing over the grave of a loved one, the grace that, that, that spoke to you and, and caused you to not quit on your life when you were going through the divorce, the grace that when your heart was broken, it was grace. What was that grace? It was the miraculous power of God. People have looked at you and they said, I don't know how you made it through all that. And you were, you were looking at this and you were looking at that. Let me tell you, it was the power of God at work all along he's always been there with you and he'll always be there with you because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you now have power it's a done deal and when his grace comes upon you you're endued with power you have miraculous power power to see you through it's in you because the Holy Spirit is in you and don't let the devil convince you one more day in your life that there's no power at work because when you feel the grace come, say, Father, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your power that's with me. And here's, here's what happens. When we, when we recognize grace as the power of God at work in our lives, then when we start looking for other places and needing God to do other miracles, our doubt isn't low. We're not there going, well, God, you've never worked in my life. I don't know you, why you would work here. No, it's the opposite of that. God, you work with me every day. I feel your grace on me right now. And because your power is on me here, I know that you're going to do the miraculous in my life. I know you're going to save my marriage. I know you're going to help my finances. I know you're going to heal my body. I know you're going to do all these things because God, your power is already on me. I want to convince you today of this with everything I have in me, that the power of God is already in your life. Just activate it. Let me just remind you of it. Maybe you never knew in the first place, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he can't leave heaven without power. And when he came in your life, power came with him. God is getting ready I, I was praying this morning, and I'm, and I'm way off my notes. Forgive me. I, I'm, I need to close. But here, here's, what, here's what God uh, said to me. He said, Randon, I'm getting ready to show the greatest display of the power of my power in your life that I ever have. I want you to take that word with you. You made it this far. You thought it was because of your strengths. Now you realize it was all actually because of your weakness and the grace of God. But here's what he's, he's, here's what he's saying to you. I'm about to make, 
put on the greatest display of the power of God at work in your life. He's not going to answer one prayer. Get ready for him to answer a lot of prayers. He's not going to do one thing. Get ready for lots of things. Can I build your faith for a moment today? I want to keep talking to you on this subject. You want to know about more about the power of God over the next couple of weeks? But I want you to pray. I want to pray with you. First of all, this, that you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would come upon you, that he would baptize you. Number two, if you have been running short of grace in your life, that he would fill you with the grace and the power to do his will. And number three, that he would begin the greatest display of his power in your life that you have ever seen. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, I thank you for every person in this room, every person watching online. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that when he came, he brought with him the dunamis, dynamite, miraculous power of God. And every time we feel your grace, we know that it is your power at work in our lives. So God, be with us now. Be with your people. Stir up our faith right now. If we're going through difficult situations, Lord, I am declaring right now that your, your grace is is all that we need. It is more than sufficient. Lord, we recognize that it is in our insufficiency that your sufficiency is released, your grace is released. So Father, release your power on your people. Build our faith to know that you have great things in store for us and you are getting ready to put on a display of your power in our lives and in this church. I am believing it now. I am speaking it into the hearts, into the spirits of your people, into the atmosphere around this congregation. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.